0: and welcome to the temple of Blair uh the Roadrunner podcasts are slowly dying out in favor of the documentary which is completely fine I've got about three more of those to edit um so if you are listening to this and you'd be meaning to get in touch to talk about Roadrunner you know I'm calling time it's last orders um you know actually I wouldn't turn you down I'm just you know I'm not actively pursuing it because I'm doing that through the documentary so hey yo anyway this is a conversation with my good mates, Petrol Bastard. I've known uh, John and Ben for a good long fucking time now. Uh, Petrol Bastard is is a punk band. It's like an electronic punk band. We talk about how we kind of delineate and compartmentalize the genre into the conversation, uh, but I want to recommend everyone just, just go on Spotify and look for the very worst of Petrol Bastard. That'll give you a kind of a sense of the sound, uh, but also understand that the live show is a completely different spectacle. Now, I think we opened the conversation by saying... Um, they're kind of like Malcolm and Wise Punk, and that's kind of a, an old reference for English comedy fans, I guess. Anyway, one, two, fucking it up. Cheers for joining me, because I've been trying to speak to you both of you like socially for about two years, but we're all so fucking busy that the only time you will speak to me socially is if it's for an official petrol bastard engagement.
1: And we're not very sociable people anyway.
2: Yeah, we've been trying to
0: not speak to you socially for two years. <laughs> you bastards. But yeah, no, I honestly, honestly just want to shoot the shit because there's so many things that are like sort of where we've gone in terms of direction and things that we've we've been doing for the last like two years have sort of diverged so immensely and greatly. And our understanding of each other's worlds has probably like probably completely changed. Especially if you think about from like the volatile gentleman days. When petrol bastard just started from when we did that first interview where you were talking about how you weren't drinking anymore to now mm-hmm. i think there's like loads of different things that we could just sort of talk about over a, like a coffee or something but again you guys will have it it has to it has to be pr for fucking petrol bastard or it's not worth Plus living you
1: know, like me and ben are like living 150 miles apart from each other as well so it doesn't make social engagements we only see each other at gigs
2: yeah and i can't drive so that even that's a bit of a pain you <laughs> <laughs> have to be do you
0: do you not do any kind of rehearsal then at all
1: no we, we went through a we, after our first tour in years which was uh, last year we did a little a couple of rehearsals up in leeds uh, right. but that was only because we added a choreographed dance routine into it
2: that's so, what i was referring to we'd not we'd not done a gig for about three years that we so or yeah. two years or something so you know we did one or two rehearsals when we first started the band but then after that and they're not difficult songs and we were gigging about twice a week for you know a good solid three or four years so and we're not really playing much new material anyway so it's not it's not yeah, difficult right?
0: so for the concert because for this audience this audience is primarily obviously people who have been following the roadrunner project right so i need to kind of introduce petrol bastards as a concept i think like now it's it's fair to say i think it's fair to say punk because so the compartmentalization of genres isn't exclusive to guitar music or non-guitar music anymore. But I want to throw this out there because I think it's probably the most accurate way to describe it. more and wise punk. <laughs> I think that's about right because I think I've tried to I've had to listen to Ben try and describe it when, when you started, and it was like it, it you couldn't do it. But I think I don't know. What have has well, your understanding changed or
2: your way of describing it? I mean, me I,
1: think, I think I think that's perfect. I think can we can we have hmm. that? yes yeah, you want <laughs>
2: it's uh was it what do we
1: say Richie uh, and eddie punk
2: yeah T- T- tesco value prodigy isn't it that's it. that was what it started
0: out as and i see i see where that's come from but when you see the live show it's like this is a different spectacle mm. i was seeing i was saying this to Kunt, and we were saying like considering where it came from which was basically ben just shit face just smashing people into monitor risers and stuff like that and just screaming at the audience <laughs> it seems to me it seems to me like there was a the methodology was there has to be a healthy amount of disdain for the audience in order to create kind of personas and kind of create a stage presence but now it's sort of evolved into no you can kind of build an interesting spectacle around this without the need for violence or or bodily fluids
2: yeah
1: when we ben will probably agree with this when we look back at what we were doing years ago when we were just drunk all the time and it was all about attacking the audience um i think looking back at it it was it was a bit dark and worrying, really. And I mean, in retrospect, we're thinking we were probably a couple of proper dickheads. And we've got older since then, obviously. And um, I think now we've kind of started to really enjoy the positive side of things. So even the music has is, is got more positive messages now and trying to appeal to if you look at the demographic of the audience, it used to be young, white, scary men that had quite um disturbing views on life and if you look at it now we're seeing more more females in the audience which i think is, is, is like a good sign that we are kind of seen as a less um attacky <laughs> um worrying sort of a band and, and and now it's got a broad we've got we've got um we've got a good gay following we've got um more of a party vibe in general so more accessible of, i think
2: yeah just lots of people who feel safe at the gigs i guess and enjoy yeah. it yeah so that's that's what we want really um, is
0: it, but is was that, is that born of your decision or is that an environmental change over the last say five years
2: we never didn't want that really but i think it, we've made a conscious choice to be um yeah less just less about that really it's quite monotonous isn't it you can do that sort of thing that aggressive thing for a bit but it's just really boring and I don't have any anger left at all. Do you know what I mean? Not twenty-four and drunk. So it's just not I don't think either of us are angry people at all.
1: And when so... you look at bands now that do that kind of thing, it just looks mm. like pointless shock value. Makes us I mean, wince like a bit. Freak. Yeah. And yeah, and like we see bands like that and we go, Oh my god, this is really horrible to watch.
0: But here's the thing, here's the difference between petrol bastards and the other shock value stuff though, because your first sort of video that you put out was called Petrol Bastard of Fucking Shit so and i know there's some like you know like there's a no FX angle to that and the self-deprecation but it was kind of like and this is kind of my motto with everything that i do which is like lower the stakes <laughs> you know what i mean shock comedians come out thinking they're the dog's bollocks because they do a savile joke you know what yeah. i mean
2: there's a lot of that in it- there. that i think there's a difference between being shocking sort of mocking yourself in a way yeah so you can say shocking things about yourself there's a difference between that and um sort of lyrics where you're attacking another group of people which i think is the sort of stuff that makes me cringe a bit you know what i mean those sorts of buzzwords that they use i don't know maybe that maybe there's not really a difference but i feel like there might be um i don't think we're ever like really bad um i think we maybe had a bit less awareness of what we were saying sometimes i didn't
1: care. also i think it made professional just professional life a little bit harder i remember when i worked for a company up in manchester and at a works party some guy came up to me and said oh i heard your band don't you sing about killing babies and and he was referring to that song we had called baby in a bin bag and
2: it's not really about that.
1: Think, this is worrying that this that that's the perception of what we're doing people think that we're into killing babies like what the fuck?
2: yeah i think um well, if you, you don't have think- an idea behind what your meaning is but if it doesn't translate well you failed haven't you because it, if you have to explain it it
1: hasn't translated yeah. well yeah so
2: you know you have to be a bit aware of what you're saying and even if you think it's clear some people will take it at base value and you, you don't want to encourage that sort of thinking
1: most think... people nowadays read just the headlines and get angry about them without understanding yeah. the detail don't they and, and you can be a victim of that if you're not careful with song titles um yeah
0: yeah i think i think what I think is interesting is where we are now compared to where because do you remember the first time we met Ben?
2: Um, go on.
0: So this is where this is where it started. So we went to the cooler and it was it was Dan Armstrong that introduced us. So we all sat down with the fat crew and we were all having a drink, and you said, like, I don't know why you bother with this pint shit. If you're gonna get drunk, you're gonna get fucking drunk. And that second, the Leon who was the barman just laid down a tray of 12 vodkas in front of you and you just went, duh, 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 and got completely shit-faced on a Thursday night when we had school the next day. So but that was- guy. But, <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> when I try and contextualize things with like, you were just getting shit-faced and you know you didn't have much practice and it was a fucking shit. This sort of era was born of that kind of Ben. Yet still, you took that, you take that body of work and you try to mature it into something totally different. There's something you told me somewhat recently, and it just for the for the audience's benefit, that I think that happens around the, the greatest hits, where you go the very worst of petrol bastards, which takes it it filters out all the shit from previously. And you kinda have one coherent album that isn't necessarily the the, the edgy shock value cringe shit. Would you say that was about the the time you sort of like had a refresh
2: i think just about that time was when you stopped drinking wasn't it
1: yeah that was probably to do with it as well wasn't it and then also we had that track called oilad which had a a more positive spin a more positive message and i really liked how that track landed i remember um overhearing some guys talking about that track uh a gig in manchester and we were getting changed and we could hear them through the door and they didn't know we were listening and they were talking about this one guy was saying that Oilad was like a, a track that spoke to him. And he was like, he loved the vibe of it and the way it made him feel. And it gave him this really positive uh, outlook on life. I remember hearing this completely unaware. These, these guys didn't know we were listening. And I thought, this is the kind of stuff that we want, pe- for me, the kind of stuff that we want people to take away from what we're doing, rather than the old look on the dark side stuff. Let's yeah. like bring some light side into it and 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 kind of... And, and also, I think... it. it um, then you start to form this um sort of relationship with your fans, which is more about let's all move, let's let's be supportive and help each other move forward and get through life, you know, together in a in a, in a positive way, rather than whinging and complaining and you know being angry at everything, which at the end of the day isn't very productive or creative for anybody.
0: I think I think we should talk about oil, added for a minute though, because it's the hook on that is like it's triple A. It's not like that's not Malcolm and Wise punk that's almost dipping your toe into like that prodigy sort of space yeah but then you kind of subvert it you don't change off it into like a big chorus you don't change off it into like an a b no, no like an a b c b c d that. you don't structure it like that you still keep it kind of anarchic and you don't get tempted into make to it could have been a pop. the way that hook lands it could have been a pop song
1: Maybe, i think the yeah the brass is all ben's fault and i fucking love for a moment i heard that i loved that and then i remember somebody saying two yorkshire lads making brass dance music that's perfect like <laughs> that's where you need to go from now on and, and even now i think i keep saying to ben the next track can we put some trumpets in it or you know some brass in it because it always works
2: you so see, uh, i like uh i'm a big fan of the klf who um what i think one of them was involved with that um project where they got coal like colliery bands to play acid techno tracks um with the trumpets and stuff which i thought was quite good yeah so i'm not saying that's like directly why we did it but i think it kind of fits with that whole thing doesn't it
0: do you is yours like is yours a tra- is your writing style a train of consciousness though then
1: So yeah. having written
0: with you i kind of feel like that i have a bit of insight but that it could it, i feel like you come from a completely different place than most of the songwriters, in the sense that I don't think you've got the patience to have an idea and let it rest, and then de- re-deliver it a few months later.
2: No, like a, if I write something, it's usually done and dusted, and pretty much one sitting. Um, mm-hmm. Might tweak it, but yeah, it's, I've kind of got a, I've got a basic idea of what I want, um, and then I'm very frantic while I'm doing it, and then yeah, I think it's usually quite an explosive kind of burnout thing for a few hours and then it's done then I'll send it to John but I'm really really impatient so while I'm waiting for that I'll normally write about 12 other tracks and maybe one or two of them might survive that yeah John has to just kind of be like oh yeah great yeah thanks like yeah I'll keep that (laughs) and then uh, just let me burn myself out and we'll come back to the ones that are actually good
1: for every 100 bits of music that you write we, we tend to use maybe like 10 of them don't we
2: yeah if that yeah I think that's the secret though no one tells you that yeah you have to write a lot of stuff don't you it doesn't matter like uh, i think george rome said write 10 tracks one of them will be good uh, i'm a big believer in uh if you if it's not got something after like an hour it's probably not worth pursuing like you shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to force it so i tend to write a lot of finished tracks very quickly and then the good ones float to the top
0: mm. yeah in, t- in terms of but Ugh. Oil light is just, it's it's sort of a weird cherry on like on, on the top of like everything you do it's, because it's so fucking, I keep using the term triple A. It's not mainstream. It's not, because it's so fucking accessible because I can picture when you were doing like your touring circuit because you do a lot of fucking gigs and you just sort of go apropos of nothing. Here's Petrol Bastard and it just be a like fucking noise porn. And then half the room would live and half the room would be like, what the fuck is this? But that track is like, that could have been like, I say it could have been that. Why wouldn't you open with that? You know what I mean? Is, is, what's the objective is what would you have gone into like a gig and gone? We kind of want to separate the wheat from the chaff from the get go. So we'll open with Priory way.
2: I think that tracks better. Once you've had a bit more of the up in your face stuff. I don't think that one's as in your face as some of the other stuff. I think it's good to have a lot of the chaotic stuff up towards the front of the set and then have that. Towards the back as a kind of bit of a lift for everyone's mood, if you like, at the end. It's
0: almost a compromise, isn't it? Because I just feel, I just feel like it's it's tethered to something, which it feels like it completely. It's tethered to something which no nothing else is in in, in the, the song list, and it kind of just demonstrates. But it, but it's so like effortless that it seems so deliberate. It kind of feels like you've always got one foot into, almost being you could be everyone's band if you wanted to be, but that's not fucking fun. So why would you be? And I think that's what that track demonstrates. It kind of goes, we could easily actually be, we could be a fucking waitrose value prodigy, but we don't want to be that. So we're going to do fuck off instead, as in like the song fuck off. You know what I mean? It feels like it, 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 for me, it just sort of recontextualizes everything. Like it's not just a chaotic accident. There is like a a, a deliberate choice to say, so. I
1: mean, you know what you me, mean? I'm, I
0: mean? Cause I'm, I'm going off on one here, but do you know what I mean?
1: if we if we could write a song that yeah. would suddenly sell millions <laughs> and we could just sell out and walk away into the sunset with loads of money and not have to work our <laughs> 95 jobs again
2: I would. We would. yeah <laughs> we've discussed this we've tried we, we actually can't so we try and make it look like we could just teeter on the ed- edge of that deliberately and walk in that line but actually <laughs> never never quite get there yeah. well
0: let's talk about like n- the next steps then on the basis that when we last spoke about federal bass you were saying you're trying to build kind of a scene mm. that's kind of how you left it in terms of that's how you vocalize it what did you mean by that
2: so um it's there isn't a lot of stuff like um what we do about or there haven't been i actually think there is a lot more stuff um there's a lot of stuff i like that people are doing at the moment there's a couple of bands like archfemesis and talky horror who are doing kind of like digital hardcore stuff almost but like just a few years before that there wasn't a lot of stuff like us so it's quite isolated and there aren't many bands to play with and there isn't really a a fan base to pour things into you have to kind of struggle to get every person to to these gigs um and the the friends don't like it and stuff so they're kind of on their own a lot (laughs) um so i think we thought it'd be nice to um put loads of gigs on and sort of create a vacuum for other van, vans to sort of pour into mm. and you know make it a bit more self-sustaining so we're not having to literally book all the gigs ourselves and people are doing things independently and the stuff that sounds a bit like it i don't think um that's because we want anyone else to be successful especially it's just it makes it easier for us to sell t-shirts a bit you know because there's already an audience
0: but didn't the cunts talk kind of throw that idea and disarray a bit because it turns out there's probably an audience out there. It's just that you need to tag along with something established as opposed to that's trying a, to break in your own and make your own vacuum. Does that make sense?
1: That's a really big part of it. And and we've actually we've done a lot of touring as you know over the last couple of years and we decided recently that this year we're not going to tour. Um but what we do want to do is try and tag along more with other bands because the challenge that we've got a lot of the time isn't when people hear what we do, actually, people do tend to like it. But the problem is being heard in the first place. Yeah. And the Coats talk kind of proved to us that if you can give us the platform to get out there to more people, then the return is pretty good on that. It's just reaching those people in some fancy land, if we could go on tour with the prodigy or something like that, then I think we could realistically have a shot at making a real career out of what we're doing. But reaching those people is is really, really tough.
0: What it is reaching? It's, it's interesting how the question's gone from who would listen to Petrol Bastard and what's their local flat roof pub where we can play to who would endorse the idea of Petrol Bastard and let us ride on the coattails on their next run.
1: Mm.
0: It yes. an, it's an interesting uh, kind of a flip-flop, isn't it?
2: Mm. Well, I think it's... Yeah, just going back to what john said a bit like people do tend to enjoy it like it, it, it sort of surprise like we get people saying all the time oh i didn't think i'd like that at all but actually it was really fun and you know listen again so like the rebellion Punk festival is a, a good example uh you know punks are normally pretty open-minded anyway but that was a, a really big crowd the biggest we played to at that point and um yeah just put us in front of a much bigger audience than we were not you know used to and it just demonstrated again that if we can get in front of the right people but you know a lot of people do enjoy it so there must be something in it mm. It's just working out how to get to that next level that's the puzzle
0: how what's the level but what's the ratio between frustration and fascination with the
2: process i'm not frustrated at all because like it's not our job it doesn't really matter it's fun um d- d- even doing the smaller gigs is still fun so I'm not, i wouldn't say frustration, but.
1: Um, One one conversation that Ben and I had um, quite recently was that if our 15 year old selves had have known what we were going to achieve with Petroblastard, we'd have been massively in awe of it. The fact that we can go on tour um, on our own tours and, you know, get big crowds coming along. I think that we are suffering from the same thing that anybody suffers from, which is that when you reach the next level in life that you're aiming for, you don't rest, you don't sit back and think I've made it. Instead, you strive for the next, and the current level you're at always feels too small. And we're just, and it's the same in, you know, in your working life, you get promoted and you think that that's going to solve all your problems. You earn more money, you get a bit more respect. But when you get there, it feels like you're just now back in the same rat race looking for the next level. And mm. that's what we're guilty of with the music as well. Um, but it's not, like, as Ben says, it's not frustrating, I don't think, because the lucky thing here is that we really enjoy it and we have a great time when we go out gigging uh meeting people is one of the for me one of the best things about it it's never a waste of time except for maybe that one time in newcastle where like five bald fat men turned up and nobody else
2: yeah all of my dads uh, (laughs) although even that probably was fine you know like even a gig like that just adds to your, your your gig patina doesn't it and like yeah you can refer back to that and in a big list of gigs, and people will probably think it was a big, you know, they'll probably think it was good. So, in terms of leverage for getting more gigs, you can still use it as an example of all the successful gigs you've <laughs> played, really, can't you? So
1: I did worry that when we did our strip we we're just going to get beaten up outside.
0: Yeah, we've talked about the journey so far, we talked about the next steps and sort of like the how you're trying to articulate the audience versus the brand versus the sound and all that stuff. Now, this is the thing I've wanted to speak to both of you about fucking ages, Ben. Why are you not bothered about a label? Because that's really, I, I've got thoughts on this as well, because I've obviously now got a fucking myriad of experiences with labels
2: from the last two years.
1: Can you get us onto Roadrunner?
0: No. <laughs> no fucking can get onto Roadrunner. is a completely different beast these days.
2: Because I don't think a label is necessarily the right way to go. Um, we We don't really release a lot of music, probably not enough to sustain being on a label. I think what we need is decent management to get us gigs. So I think people don't really buy a lot of music anymore, that's just a fact. You make your you, you know, you make the living aspect of it out of selling merch at gigs and stuff like that. And I think I just I think a a, a label unless it's a really big one is kind of redundant at the moment. Uh, I mean there's a bit of cross-pollination between you know the bands on the label I guess a bit. Um, yeah, if it was a small or small-medium label, which is the kind that is more, more likely to take us on, I'm not sure what they could bring to the table that we can't do ourselves, that I wouldn't do. Absolutely
0: fucking right. So this is kind of like how I've delineated labels from the last two years of having to effectively study them. So this you start off with your most common label, which is the ones that will probably be in your inbox right now, which is, I call them laptop labels, which is... <laughs> one person who just likes the idea of having a label but offers fucking nothing else on top of that they might have gone on fiverr.com and paid for someone to get a, do them a logo and that's kind of, and they'll do some pr for you but that's really it and that's i think kind our of,
1: experience of that of those kind of labels has been that they're generally vanity labels so actually there's no money in them anyway and it's it's so- not
0: about it's not even about the money because what you need is the, mm. the resources that a label has isn't necessarily money. It's usually a network of people. Mm. And unfortunately, the only ones that have any leverage is like an old boys club. So like the only ones, the only laptop labels who would give a shit is like a one man PR company, somebody typically used to be A and R in the nineties or something like that. That's the only one with any kind of leverage on anything. That's one. Then you have like your medium enterprise label, which is an indie label, which has some money, but it usually deals in like one kind of track of, of, of artists. Right. And there's not a lot of those. Cause that's kind of like the weird sort of, I don't know if there's an analogy, like a, it's the independent pub. and It's the independent high street pub of yesteryear before it either shuts down or gets eaten up by Whitbread's or weather or something like that. And typically they're really good, like that's what people might have regarded roadrunner as just by way of example, like sort of like late eighties, early nineties, it's kind of like, this is the home for this kind of thing. Money's not always amazing, but you know, you've got the right network of people that can push the product. And then we go up into like the majors, which is effectively an all boys club or old boys club, a revolving door of people. And that's where people tend to, you know, it, you get on those, if you get a million streams, cause there's no a development. It's just, all right, this band has two million streams getting in. that's kind of like the rotation of it so I think for something like petrol bastard it's like it's not it's the idea isn't viable unless you have someone who's in that sort of sweet spot but the interesting thing is there's no one issue label that can do
2: what petrol bastard do I think you know lots of the benefits of being on a label in the past were things like them paying upfront for your recording mm. and you know mastering and physical production and distribution of media but that's not really that wouldn't really apply to us because we produce everything ourselves and so that's one thing they can't help us with you know people don't really i don't think people really buy that much physical music that's another thing they can't help us with i just think it would restrict us more than it helps us you know and that's it, it-, cre-
0: it creates more at because you're dealing with more people the money that bands make now is all on merch and all on touring which is why there's such like a massive dialogue about the amount of um cut that the venue takes on merchandise. Mm-hmm. And how much um like Ticketmaster make on their, you know, service fees and things like that. Cause there's just it's completely ripping the industry apart, really. When well, there's probably really viable options out there to make all that go away in like this digital age where you're not getting money from the masters or from the uh, physical sales, but no one's taking the bold steps to do it. Um and I don't have any big sort of grandiose ideas of what those are, but I do know that petrol bastard follow the model of the money's in. T-shirts and the physical product you, know, you put out on the merch desk, in it
2: I think um seeing other bands like like the cunts and cunt and the gang do, you know, do very well um without a label at all, having never had a label, that you know, nothing's leading me to think it would be a benefit. There's plenty of people doing it without a label, but you know, far bigger than us, who are just happy, you know. So it would take a lot to... one
1: thing you can what we are doing and probably what Current of the gang did as well i think is not trying to do gigs right now in order to make money mm. it's instead he's trying to build a really firm foundation so that eventually you might be able to reach a point where you can monetize it if Current of the gang um, releases another t-shirt tomorrow you know that he's going to sell 500 to a thousand of those Mm. and he's going to turn around a good few grand profit and he he can do that because he's built a foundation of really solid diehard fans
0: it's a strong brand that's like the dickhead
1: yeah and you don't i don't think you build a strong brand by trying to monetize your fans early on you need those people to stick with you and to feel like they're kind of um they're respected as being fans of yours you don't want to rip rip those people off because they're the ones who in 10 years time 20 years time are going to say i was there at the beginning and they've always been a good band Met them a few times and they're they're good lads and now they're getting somewhere. I'm proud to support them.
2: Most of the is... time, most of the time, I'm using the spree. I think I think it is for sale on Bandcamp now. But the idea was always to just try and get people into it. So if that meant giving it away free, fine. You know, what's the say? What's the point of making two hundred quid extra, perhaps if you're lucky, versus five thousand people downloading it for free? You know. Mm
1: yeah yeah you look at the uh, the tours that we've done as well we, we're actually quite lucky as far as bands go most bands would go on a uk tour and lose money after the cost of diesel the hotels you know your, your kind of sustenance yep. throughout the tour we've been kind of lucky in that we can normally it normally washes its own face and so we can come back after a week or two weeks away and we can say you know what we made a load of new fans we met some great people we had a really good laugh and mm-hmm. it didn't cost mm-hmm. us anything.
2: And i bought a log burner out of the last one so you know that's good
1: <laughs> it was
0: set up yeah
2: it's gone up in smoke yeah yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> no fair enough Fair enough. so john we we had a conversation like a year or so ago we were like we should sort of talk about late like, because i was in the running for doing a small label with yes. you know with all this in mind but i was in like the early talks with someone about doing something but you also wanted to put your hat in the ring as well didn't you so what was the idea that can't be a vanity label if you're calling out vanity labels here in this conversation what was the kind of what was the thing that you wanted to do with it or what's your idea
1: so the idea at the time um uh, this is before i bought another like a house and, and had i had a bit of money that i wanted to do something with and the idea would be a little bit like we said about building up the foundations of a fan base for mm. the band it'd be a similar idea but for a label so sometimes you come across people who are fans of the label above the band Mm. and people will always buy the records that certain label releases like fat rec fat records you know so that they will know the next thing a big example for me was digital hardcore which is probably folded i think a long time ago now but i was always a fan of pretty much anything that they put out so you become a fan of this label because you know that it's a quality label based on your preferences so for me because we're seeing more of these bands that are doing a little bit nearer to what we're doing. So it's, it's about a really out there performance. It's about uh, almost karaoke. Mm. And it's about doing something that's funny and getting out there and, and just being a bit bit mad, um, but also with a electronic kind of feel to it as well.
0: There is feel- a craft to it. There's absolutely a craft to it.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. you could, you could, and it'd take a long time, but you could you could build a label around that. And then you could build a real, sort of family of of bands that, that it sounds like
0: what you're saying and what Ben was saying earlier about creating a vacuum in which you could kind of like have an or a billion audience for this kind of thing is what you would have done with with that idea yeah
1: yeah absolutely and I think it would have just given a little bit of control over it to be able to say if one of the bands on the label is putting a video out let's have some um, input into that and, and just help them make sure that it it's the best that they can do um, same with the recordings. I mean, we're kind of lucky to have access to people like, say, like Ben's production skills. He can do mastering. Uh, we know people like uh, Dan Buckley who's fantastic at um, editing videos and doing animations. We, we we're lucky to know people around the business. And if we wanted between us, we could pull together a really good kind of hit squad that could just pump out amazing music. All you need is some people with the zest for it and some good ideas, and you can mm. quickly turn them into, I think, a quality product with a decent set of videos and a you know a good sound and a good image and that was the kind of thinking really to have a little bit of a little bit of creative input uh, uh, just to support and nurture that kind of a, a scene to build
0: yeah and i think that's, that's a, good a good idea thing. we were talking about we were talking about cunt earlier and i was saying the thing i envy about cum is and it's a thing i've i've realized i've realized i've been missing this like for most of my life i don't know if, ben you can attest to this but <clears throat> come was talking about gels, and he was saying the thing about gels is up for a laugh. Like you could say that you're off to just walk up Ben Nevis for the shits and gigs, and you'd just walk outside, and gels would be bottom of your drive with a sleeping bag and a Twix. I'm like that; those kind of mates are the ones I've completely been missing. Like I feel like from my entire fucking life, like the one thing I've needed on this roadrunner project is just some other cut. Co- like I had to, you know, you're familiar with Anthrax, the band Anthrax. I had to walk Scott Ian through the center of Leeds on match day to do an interview. I have no one to share that story with because no one else was there. And I all I've got is the image in my head of Scott in like fucking in front of a with crowds of people. I'm like, just put your head up, mate. <laughs> just keep your head down, <laughs> I'm trying to get him into a car. Con- but no one, I've got no one to share that that sort of story with, but couldn't have it in fucking droves. And the, the what it sounds like, John, you're, what you'd want to cultivate is something similar to that. Because the sharing, at the end of the day, I think the inverse of the idea, and I think the the real inverse, like the polar opposite, is usually a promotion company that wants to put gigs on in a particular locale. And then it's like, oh, it's five ahead. And then no band ever sees any money. And then, as you know, these things go for about a year. Then the guy gets a bad name and he skips town. That's kind of like the shit you've been – like we certainly dealt with when we were gigging in our teen years. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're saying, John, the incentive is completely different because it's about – as you say, having a laugh, being surrounded by people who want to have a laugh and share those kind of experiences.
1: Yeah, and it's infectious then. And if you can then uh, infect the, the the fan base with that and then they tell their friends and it becomes a good party vibe and people say, get to one of these labels gigs because they always put on a good show. It's always a, an awesome night. The bands are always quality. It just builds and builds. And, it, and it, again, it comes back to building a good foundation, which one day later in life, you might want to do something with to... to, to 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 make some way out of it but that wouldn't be the the goal it'd be to build this really good kind of almost a family vibe label that just had a um a really good reputation for putting out some good stuff and having a good time
0: i think like uh, our, our age speaks to that as well i think like that's the kind of thing you crave a bit more i mm. think there's a reason blokes in the 50s and 60s go to pubs to see a local folk band because it's sort of weirdly accessible and you can't get that kind of weird community vibe. Mm. I guess we're a little bit more impatient.
2: And death. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that's all I wanted to talk about. That's all I wanted to talk about with you for the last like two years, but you have just fucking ignoring but me. you
2: have got us now. Anything else?
0: <laughs> tell what's the tell me about the video that you just put out then for Beefy granddad because That no. song's an old
2: song, isn't it? It's uh nine years old, yeah. Um fucking so some was uh, thrown together after we. I think we'd we'd recorded a punk band, um, and then we had the studio for about like an hour afterwards. Is that right? If I remember?
1: No, it wasn't. It was a, a band that's a it was a it was a studio in Batley that was being it was a like a warehouse space in Batley that was being rented out and turned into a studio by some friends of mine. Uh, that were in a band called Dear Friends, like a indie folk band. It's a guy, a couple of guys, used to go to school with, and we said we needed a space to do some recording, and they said you can use our space. Um, and then we did a little bit of recording in there, and you had the idea for the track Ben, and I said, okay, why don't I said I know how the words for this track should sound, but I haven't had time to write any lyrics, so let's record words that sound good, and then later on I'll replace them with uh, words that make sense. But we didn't get around to doing that second bit so we just recorded nonsense words that we thought sounded good and frustratingly that is the track that most people like Mm. and it's the most pointless track that we've ever written
2: but then we needed a you know because that is one that's you know the most successful if you like we thought we'd best do a video for it because the problem is we have a lot of tracks that probably could do with the video but because of was living so far apart a lot of them just didn't get it you know so what we actually ended up doing is getting someone to do all of it without our involvement really Sugarpuff, who's sort of a social media dancing sensational mainly on TikTok. um so we just said look can you do us a video you go out and do it we won't be in it bring it back to us and that's what we got
1: yeah, weirdly, there's a, a bit right at the start of the video where he does like a James Bond bit right at the very start. He does a roll and he's at, uh, outside, is um, it Trafalgar Square. Um, and one of the um, currently gang's mates, a guy called Stuart Whiffen, who I think you might have met or you might be meeting, Jim. Um, um, he was walking past and saw this guy doing a, a barrel roll outside, like in front of Nelson's Column. And, he, and then he saw the video and he was like, weird, I was walking past that on Tuesday and I saw the guy and I thought to myself, that's the kind of shit we used to do.
0: It's, Stuart, Stuart, he does a podcast called um off the beat and track
1: he interviews a lot of interesting people didn't
0: he he interviews fucking like,
1: like I, real yeah
0: stars. He, that's a real part you should be on that podcast yeah <laughs> that's what you should be fucking
2: doing we're doing uh do you remember we can probably tell you this do you remember that uh the hamster dance song in the late 90s that was like number four in the charts and John Peel's Christmas number one like, oh my god yeah the cuban boys we're doing a track with them <laughs> is that off record or is that on record uh, that's probably on record i mean it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't come true we're doing it maybe it won't get released but that's the coolest thing ever that's fucking bonkers i think i
1: just so look this is who stuart Wiffin's is interviewing um david Duchovny from x-files
0: it's a uh, on that podcast, or just like...
1: Yeah, off the beaten track. Yeah, podcast with Stu Whiffen. Like, yeah, it. David DeCovney, Bonnie Tyler recently. Bonnie Tyler. Yeah. fucking Tyler.
0: Jesus Christ. Actually, hey, I'll tell you about my, my AAA experience that I've had with the Roadrunner project now? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So I, obviously, Black, I did Blackstone Cherry last week. Um Blast and share is like a southern rock band, massive over here. Really, I've been with those guys like since like 2006 I fucking love that band. Um, so anyway, I went through management, did all everything by the book. Um, got my triple A pass backstage at um Leeds Arena and the darkness was supporting. And I fucking love the darkness. I think like the darkness from these days is like better than darkness from before, and I fucking love it. And um, anyway, I do the interview, the interview is great. Um and I was like, can I stick around and like get some of the performance for B-roll? And it's like, yeah, you just can't do it from the stage. You've got to be accompanied by someone. Just do it from front of house. I'm like, yeah, banging. But I'm just gonna go watch the darkness. Watch the darkness, great performance. Never seen him before, but I really love him. And I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna s- just see what this is like. I'm gonna go backstage when they come off stage and just see if it's sort like the odds go off to the dressing rooms or like or what. And all four of them came out and they were just joking and joshing, and it was proper, like really good to see. Like, joking around, like, that was a great form. There's a lot of funny things happened in that one. And then I was, like, a few, like, as soon as the security guards were, like, giving fist bumps and stuff like that. And I was so, like, taken aback by it. I actually just put my my eyes to the floor and just didn't even acknowledge anything. It was so, like, I was, like, blinded by the light of Justin Hawkins. It was fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah,
1: awesome I've never seen him live, but I've always been a big fan. And I think the, um, he went to college, music college in Huddersfield, the same... Hudsfield,
0: yeah, he's Sobey Bridge yeah. alumni. That I went to. Right. Yeah, he lived in Sobey Bridge, Ben.
2: Did he really? Well, I'm not the main most famous musician from Sobey Bridge, then. <laughs> <laughs> There's no it's little plaque of me in the train station,
0: <laughs> but yeah, no, it was crazy. It was crazy. And anything else you want to plug? I just want to do you want to just shoot the shit for a bit? Um, I think the
1: only thing to plug might be just. I, it'd be great to um get more people to check out the new music video for Beefy Grandad. granddad
2: mm. uh, and we have a new ep out just last week but it's I've forgotten about that because it have been so busy
1: yeah i know you said earlier ben we don't put much music out but actually i think we kind of maybe we do you know yeah, I mean, three,
2: it? it's every now and again isn't it we don't need to they're like the back catalogs like golden mate isn't it you don't need to
0: <laughs> are you gonna like Are you gonna stop get into a regular rhythm yeah. of like putting out new music
2: well part of the reason we're not gigging this year is to recharge but also give us a, a breathing space and maybe get a few extra bits out we are working on a few bits at the minute um we won't release it unless it's good because there's no need to but I think we've got quite a few ideas it's just whether it whether it adds to the live show or not really it, what is what decides it there's no point in just putting things out for no reason I've
0: always thought that about Bands sort of as the end sort of like their 10th 15th year like it's when i went oh this album's not as good as the first like yeah but if you think about it it's about giving giving yourself a more diverse live set and about being having the options to pace things a little bit differently in whatever set you're given you know what i mean
1: yeah the, Yeah. the, the the stuff that's written now the end goal of playing it live drives the idea a lot of the time this this will sound amazing on a a big sound system in a club Mm. is kind of the end goal, isn't it? This will give the audience something interesting to sing along to. For the sake of it, just being out. We've we've done a lot of music in the past that we just can't perform live. Mm. It just doesn't work live. It's like the lyrics are too complicated or Mm. the timing was, it it just doesn't work.
2: And it's ones we thought, some of them are ones we thought would be good live. But, you know, you learn through experience what doesn't, doesn't work. You need actually quite a lot of space in tracks it to yeah. late well live if it's too cluttered and there's too many words going on and mm. you know it's just an onslaught it can be a bit it doesn't work well live it has no impact it's just like white noise so I think we've learned what doesn't doesn't work it's good to have those tracks as like album tracks if you like if you mm. can believe anyone sits and listens to it um but yeah there's no need to make more of that we've kind of got that
1: but also on that it- point, what, what you were saying earlier Jim about where we position uh Oylad in the middle of the set a lot of where the tracks sit in the set, uh, they're carefully thought out for, for kind of two reasons. One of the reasons is that we want to kind of follow a little bit of a journey so that the set doesn't just become all the same. So there's like mm. there's a lot of dynamics in there. But the other reason is that we just need breathing room as well. So after a fast track, we sometimes need a slow track where we can get our breath back because we've done it before where we've come off stage and been literally shaking because you cou- you couldn't get your breath for the last two songs and mm. you give... So much that it's it, it it kind of tips you into feeling really ill at the end of the show because you've not allowed yourself to recover. If the and
0: audience, if the audience has made it this far in, it's worth noting that the Petrol Bastard live show is completely, it's completely departed from what you think you're gonna see when you listen to the records. It's completely, it's eclectic. It's, it's high energy. It's eclectic. It's completely. This is why I say it's a Malcolm and Wise punk. That's where that's coming from
2: i think it is variety now i think it is on the cusp of variety we'd always when we decided to do a, a different sort of set than what we used to do pre-2019 Um we did sort of want to have a variety of things and you know a bit of physical comedy if you like um, it
1: is literally that- like the world variety show now as well like there's yeah. a stage fight scene in there and there's a massive fart
2: yeah it's victorian musical but Digital, isn't it? Digital music hall is what we should call it. <laughs> music hall. <laughs> so you,
0: you did have a fixation with a particular kind of organ.
2: At or yeah, cinema organs, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and you that. only wanted to play gigs with those yeah. or something like. That. Well, I, like, if we get rich, I'm just going to buy either a fairground organ or a, like a massive theatre organ, and I can only play in venues then which have those facilities. <laughs> There's probably about twelve places, and maybe you know churches in America yeah you yeah, yeah. probably wouldn't be reflective to the the general vibe Ben's only
1: interested if there's a big organ yeah that's right
0: how do you look back on our gents days then Ben? for the contest, we, we used to play in a band called the volatile gentlemen
2: I don't very often uh, yeah. <laughs> no, uh I don't know I think they were I think it was by and large quite bad music um as every young band, yeah. but uh, you know what actually it was really fun and we did try and have fun um and we made some quite I think compared to a lot of bands of young boys it was quite interesting and quite experimental it wasn't yeah, yeah. good but it was certainly it's certainly formative
0: I definitely I definitely look back very nostalgically and I think the best of yeah. it was as interestingly as you saying before when we were out of patience, we burn out. The best stuff we wrote was sort of like, just sort of blitzed through like in, in 20 minutes. Yeah,
2: stupid stuff. Yeah. yeah. I thought, I thought it was at its best when it was just the, the, you know, big friendship group around it. And it was all really stupid and it didn't matter. And the music was really weird. I think yeah. um, when we started to try and take it more seriously, that's when it went kind of not as good in a way. When, I
0: sometimes the- think the best gig we did was the one in London when... um Speaking like, for <laughs> you and Kemper, you, me and Nick were in Manchester, and then arrow was gonna pick you up and from Leeds and come over to Manchester to pick us up. And you were later, me and Nick were like, they were probably fucking hammered. They're probably hammered and they're gonna make a right pig's fucking ear of the whole thing. It's just unbelievable. Going down to London, they're gonna be shit faced within two hours. We were all completely <laughs> cunted on the back of this bus. <laughs> we did the gig and the fucking monitor set on fire. It was ace, the whole thing was glorious.
2: It was one of the worst gigs ever. I said something <laughs> quite offensive that I thought was funny, and like there's this group of people at the front of the stage just shouting. Oh, do better, and just walked out. <laughs> I was like, "Oh shit!" I <laughs> wish. I
0: have this really vivid memory of on the way back. I we stopped because we hadn't eaten anything all day, and I remember getting a like the only sixty-five p tuna sandwich in all of London, and possibly
2: Christendom. Yeah, I remember we we uh, lined up sixteen jäger shots at the bar just before going on. That was good. Remember where where was that gig? Uh, it was at the the Unicorn, I think. Mm. which we've played out john haven't we a couple of times
1: yeah, i walked past that a couple of days ago and i was like oh, i remember playing there that was
2: yeah
1: that was a messy one that was a drunk one for us wasn't it
2: it was yeah but you had a what was what do you think about your test zero
1: um probably a bit like you it was it was it wasn't serious and it was crazy and it was probably uh looking back on it that's where i think um and again probably like you that's where you kind of make a lot of your, you do a lot of your testing. It's like a test bed for what works for a live show, what doesn't work. So I learned doing that kind of thing, how to be on stage and how to feel comfortable and normal and how to engage with the audience in a way that makes sense. Whereas to, to get to that point, you have to realize that looking at your band members doesn't work, um, apologizing for mistakes doesn't work, mm. just act like it was meant to happen and plow on. So, I, so for me, I learned a lot of lessons doing that before then, you know me and you started working together we we would yeah. all have got that, both of us out of the way
2: and we kind of wrote we actually did write on I think we wrote a physical manifesto on paper that included things like when we're performing don't look at each other uh, no chatting in between the songs
0: you know that was a gents the, thing as well like yeah no no on-stage banter because it no. always falls flat and you look like a twat
2: look good like um like we we did a manifesto to try and be sort of good and it was also sort of for a joke but a lot of those rules were quite sensible practical rules like Mm. doing repetitive songs we won't forget um you know just how to be on stage always looking at the audience not at each other and uh, those things have put us in reasonably good stead.
1: yeah one of the strong ones that we for me one of the strong ones was just having um that idea of having maybe just one good line that you repeat over and over and over again because that becomes part yeah if you you mix that with a, a really good musical hook that becomes a real earworm, and that gets people, you know, days after they've heard a track, still singing to themselves, and, and and that's what really plants the seed and gets people coming back. And we still do that, don't we? We still use that that, that rule a lot.
2: Minimalism. It's sort of a, like it's a, the tracks are quite full, but they're, they're driven by minimalism, aren't they? Hmm.
0: Really? Yeah, yeah. And that's where the craftsmanship yeah. is, though, isn't it? It's being able yeah. to go, can we? Can I get as much of myself in this while also trying to make it as hooky as possible yeah. without yeah, also I mean, compromising the bit of me in there?
1: Ben and I are both big fans of Daft Punk. And when you listen to um, the... the world, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah Round and world, and the anything world, anything like that. It's it's just repetitiveness to the point where instead of it getting boring, it becomes like you like learn. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and, and I think we, we kind of we knowingly used that trick to try and drill the tracks into people. Oilad again is a perfect example of that. It's just that same hook over and over again. It's got a little shit rap near the beginning, but apart from that, which is designed to just break it up, but then it takes you back to the the really comfortable hook, and that it, it reintroduces it in a way that people have already learned it. And I think it, it actually works quite well.
0: It's so, like? it's so I, I keep going about oilad, but there's such like a there's so much space in that song. I don't know if it's in the mix or something like that, but like, and when you keep coming back to speeding up and th- things like that, it's like there's so much space. Yet we're tunnel visual visioning it. You know what I mean? It's it's so it's sort of weird.
2: I'd sort of tack on that, um, like it's not so much deliberately because we like I like Stuart Lee, but I think Stuart Lee, he said something about repetition and making it just say saying this sort of same point over and over again, makes it hilarious doesn't it because mm. it sort of loses its meaning and it, then it stops being funny and then it starts being really fucking funny again because you just like absolutely relentlessly hammering it home and we do that at the end of our live set as well don't we with the um like it's just a an in like an, an acapella bit at the end where we just repeat the same thing over and over and over again till it becomes just boring then uncomfortable then it becomes really funny again and I think some of the songs are kind of a micro version of that
0: <laughs> one song one of the cunt songs I'm obsessed with at the minute is uh Women Love a Bastard. And I think that speaks to that completely because it's just <laughs> song a guy who receives advice that women love bastards. And it's just verse after verse after verse of relentless country. <laughs> and yes, then and- it stops for a little bit and it's like, Oh, and then she left me. And then I continue being away.
1: My favorite current of the gang track is that one. That one and Paperboy.
2: Paperboy for me. Uh, like the, they're all good, aren't they? But yeah, Paperboy. And I think it butterfly. If, That's a good one. If, butterfly
1: is another amazing one as
0: well. If if woman Love a Bastard" was two BPM slower, you'd get bored of it. If it was two BPM quicker, you wouldn't be able to keep up with it. It's kind of just perfect, exactly the way it's been delivered.
2: He's a very good tune smith. Surprisingly, and, su- yeah.
0: considering considering like
2: the packaging, they sound like um, they sound like something Raymond got to do for a nineteen fifties. 1950s- Toothpaste commercial, don't they? They're just really tight little earworms. Yeah, almost yeah. nothing to them that are just right. That's interesting.
1: Mean, really well on kids' cartoons, I think as well. Like, because it, it sounds like it's being done on like toy instruments. Yeah. yeah, you can put it on like something from like when I was a kid, like Playbus, where they just have these really minimal daft instruments with uh, nice little um, jingles. Yeah, you can just write them. You can just ream, ream them off easily.
0: It translates yeah. so well to punk as well.
1: Surprisingly so, didn't it? Yeah. Mm.
2: I think it's better, actually. Like, I wasn't initially... Like, I liked them, I liked the cunts, but I wasn't initially like, oh, yeah, this is, like, this is better. But now that I've seen it live a, a few times, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that it's loads better. I think they just work so much better like that. But yeah. I'm dying for a piss. Yeah, I'm gonna
0: Yeah, go. Right, cheers. but I'll have this up in a bit anyway. Just nice one. Good chapter. Yeah, 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 have a good one. See you in best. bye